Welcome to Conversations with Consequences, a weekly hour of thoughtful dialogue from the Catholic Association with the leading thinkers of our time on the most consequential issues of our day. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, and we're joined today by my dear colleague, Andrea Picciari Bayer from the Catholic Association. Later on in the show, after the break, we will be joined from Rome, what envy, by Catherine Jean Lopez from the National Review Institute. And today we're talking adoption and foster care. So the adoption and foster care uh, topic is pretty much inexhaustible. I come from I come to the topic from the perspective of, a, of an adoptive mother. I have a little girl that my husband and I adopted from China, our fifth child, and she has been, um, if I can say that she has been the perfect joy, a perfect joy in our lives from moment one, um, and it's been 11 years since we've had her uh, as our daughter, and I expect the rest of our life with her to be perfect joy as well. So one of the things um, that I've been writing a lot about when it comes to adoption is, uh, and I did a, a, a video for National Review, and uh, we're going to post a link to it uh, when we when we do our social media for the show. Uh, I did a video about something that became apparent to me after I adopted and got into that whole adoption uh, culture, the, the culture of adoption. Um, the idea, pretty much, uh, people who adopt, you can they think of themselves in two separate ways. There is the adopters who adopt out of a deep desire and a need for a child, usually because of infertility. Um, and they see themselves as being um, receiving this beautiful commodity of a child, something that's going to completely change their lives and, and transform them. And they have, they have a deep, understandable desire for this. Then we have another way of looking at adoption and foster care as well, which is the idea that there are children who exist who are growing up without love, without a single person on earth who really deeply cares for them and, and sees them as a valuable and um, completely precious person, and the tragedy of growing up without love. And the adopter in that sense, the adoptive parent in that sense, sees themselves as someone who can give that, that, uh, that, that, that incredibly important thing to that one child. Um, if you notice, these two positions equate to a child-centered approach and a parental approach. If, if, it's, if adoption or foster care is all about the needs of the parents, then the laws um, and culture around adoption that are all about parental rights, like who should be allowed to adopt and, and the laws that should, be, that should govern adoption agencies and foster care agencies, then those become uh, the most important thing. When we talk about adoption and foster care centered on the needs of children, then we go into a different space. And in that space is this desire to connect as many children as possible to a family so that they can have that blessing of growing up being truly loved. Um, the laws uh, here in our country, laws are being promulgated right and left that make it, uh, that are trying to make it impossible for faith-based agencies to stay uh, in the adoption game and in the foster game because they won't um, allow same-sex couples to marry, I mean to adopt. And um, this has all to do with parental rights, but not the needs of children, because the more foster care agencies and adoption agencies that exist, the more chances are there are for children 
to find that that final that beautiful home that they're looking for. So on on this topic, my friend Andrea, my colleague at the Catholic Association, has done a lot of work. She's a lawyer, and she's done a lot of work on these uh, these attacks by the by the legal system um, on agencies uh, that are faith based and and how they how they operate. So tell us about that, Andrea. Well, thank you, Gracie. Um, it really seems like foster care and adoption is the new battleground uh, in, in over ideological differences, especially related to same-sex uh, marriage and same-sex households. Um, as a civil rights lawyer, I started looking at some of the cases involving faith-based foster and adoption uh, agencies in Philadelphia and involving the state of Michigan. And it struck me, uh, just like you were saying, Gracie, that this battle is a battle that's being um, considered as a battle between the rights of, uh, of parents. And um, that's not, uh, in my opinion, how civil rights laws should be uh, conceived and implemented and, and enforced. Instead, they should really be focused on the dignity of humans and, in this case, it's the dignity of these needy children. How do we create uh, a place in which our laws, our governments are keeping as many doors open as possible to needy kids who are looking for loving homes? Um, and in uh, some of the, the scholarship that's been written and some of the cases, it's about trying to find a way for faith-based groups to continue to work in this beautiful marketplace of finding homes for children in need uh, without having to be doing so against uh, the teachings of their faith in, in the case of Catholic-run institutions, um, the church's teachings on, on human sexuality and marriage. And I'm really, really hoping that uh, sooner rather than later, we find a way that, that we can all get along, that we don't have to think of it as an either and or either an agency agrees to place children in same-sex households or they have to get out of the, the business entirely. It would be a shame for faith-based agencies to have to close their doors because I know as, as someone of faith uh, that it is our faith in many ways, um, maybe in most ways, that impels us uh, to go into that field, to want to join families to needy children. It's, it is our faith that says to us, stop looking just at your own little problems. Stop staring at your, at your belly button. You know, go out there and go to the peripheries, as Pope Francis says, and, and make, your, make your mark on the world in, in, in charity, in full charity. So with that, we're going to our first break. And after our break, we will be joined by Catherine Jean Lopez calling us from Rome. Joining us now is a dear friend of mine and a dear friend of Andrea's too, Catherine Jean Lopez. She has been kind enough to, to join us all the way from Rome. Yes, we are green with envy over here. And uh, welcome, Catherine. 
thank you so much for having me on. I have to apologize in advance. You're going to hear the bells of St. Peter's at some point while we're talking, but I guess that's not a bad soundtrack to have. I do have to say, though, a cost just crowed three times, and I don't know what that means for our conversation, but we're about to see. Well, it is just a few days before Holy Week, so I suppose that the cocks are all on notice. There you go. So um, Andrea and I were just talking right before we started this about the Scala Sancta, and we were wondering, now that it's been opened again, those famous steps that Jesus walked up on his way to his crucifixion, and we were wondering if if you're going to be able to visit that while you're in Rome. I um, hope to swing by tomorrow, but I uh, actually have an unforeseen back problem that will probably keep me from actually doing the steps, but... I um I I always find it moving. You know, I've I've seen so many places, not just on those holy steps, which are, um, which are uncovered for the first time, and I I forget how many years. Um, people are always walking on them, even with coverings on them, uh, but walking up them on their knees, um, and and seeing that, which you see at so many shrines particularly in Latin America. I, I know it at Guadalupe in Mexico City. I've seen it. People people just on their knees walking up to the, or crawling up to the Tilma. It's just so, so moving and beautiful. Um, and so uh, I do want to at least see the pilgrims doing that. I was really fortunate. I can't join them. I was really fortunate enough. I was fortunate enough to crawl up those steps on my knees maybe four or five years ago. Um, but when I was about a third of the way up, the monk who was taking care of the steps came rushing up after me and dragged me back down the stairs. He said, lady, your skirt is way too short. So that was a very embarrassing moment in my life. But I found a shawl, found a shawl to cover your, to cover my legs. rear and my legs. And I, I did the whole walk up or the, the kneeling up. You went back. God bless you. <laughs> Now, Catherine says that her back is hurting because she carries too many books, but I personally think her back is hurting because she's carrying the cross of a lot of people. Oh, Oh my goodness. I know you do that, and and Catherine is a a great reminder of how we need to kind of send out the prayer message for a lot of our friends out there that are suffering. I constantly get Facebook reminders to pray for G or for L or for a guy in New York that's without a home. And it's a, Catherine, I think you've, you've carried a lot of people crosses, including mine. And so take a rest, a little <laughs> bit of a rest, and then pick it up again. Well, that's a beautiful thing to say. Um, and, and I just will add, I mean, we, it, the power of prayer is something that we um, underestimate, I think, all of the time. Um, otherwise, we'd all be spending more time in Eucharistic adoration and and yeah, trying to carry the crosses of others. I, the imitations of the cross, Simon and Veronica are probably um, some of the two of the most powerful. They're all powerful, but but they're always reminders to me that um, there are people around us who are suffering things we have no idea about, and to just try to be a little more sensitive to that. Oh, you're so right, Catherine. And you know what? You're reminding me that we skipped right over your introduction. Because we were talking like friends, and of course we are friends, but there's people listening, and I should tell them who you are in case they don't know, although I think many, many people know exactly who you are. So Catherine Jean Lopez is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute, where she directs the Center for Religion, Culture, and Civil Society, as well as being editor-at-large of National Review. 
So Catherine writes uh, all the time. She is extremely prolific. Um, she has a wonderful Twitter feed. I recommend it to anyone um, who's interested in seeing uh, and, and experiencing beautiful spiritual communions um, pretty much all day and all night. I think she stays up all night tweeting. And um, more important, or specifically important to this talk that we want to have today with Catherine is her efforts lately in the field, uh, in the field of um, promoting the, a culture of adoption and foster care in the United States. Catherine, um... Well, and aren't they, in many ways, that the topic is so related to um, what we were just talking about, the Stations of the Cross and, and being more aware of other people's needs and, um, and, and going out and reaching out beyond ourselves. And you've experienced that in your life, your family's life, Gracie, having adopted your your daughter from from China. And I um, I've just been so blessed over the last couple of years to to be spending a little more time paying attention to these um, these uh, unbelievable needs in in our country um, that most of us aren't aware of. It's sort of like I keep. Um, I keep um, likening it to military service. There's like 1% of the country that serves in the military and only those people know what, you know, the life is like and the needs are like and the sacrifices are like. And um, it, there's something similar with foster care and adoption. There, There's a limited number of people who have stepped up to, to, to the plate and um, and it's almost foreign to the rest of us what what those sacrifices and what those needs are. And um, part of what I've been trying to do is help make Catholics in a particular way, because evangelicals are doing a much better job. And we can talk a little bit about the reasons why, but but um, really really start to to help Catholics think more in terms of what are the needs around them in their community, and not everyone's going to be called to foster care or adoption, but you do have a role to play in like a parish community or, or your, you know, your neighborhood uh, to, to help be some of the wraparound services for, and resources for family that does adopt, um, especially in, in particular out of foster care where you're, you're dealing with children very often who have such trauma, um, early trauma that, they they're going to have with them for the rest of their lives. So there, there's a role for everybody to play. So in, Catherine, in you and I have interacted. You and I have interacted several times. Uh, we've been on panels together, or you've directed panels that I've been on. Um, and my my approach to all this, or the the way that I come into the adoption, uh, the way that I got passionate about adoption is through adopting. Um, and I have a little girl, as you mentioned, from China. My husband and I have a little girl from China, and what she made very clear to me was that these, this idea of children having to be aborted because they're unwanted um, is uh, completely erroneous and completely unmerciful, that the wantedness of a child is something that it's a stamp we want to put on human beings, but it's not, um, it's not what qualifies human beings as being uh, dig, uh, dignified and and worthy of respect and protection, and for me, when I went into when we adopted our little girl, I realized that it, it was very clear to me that she was a deeply unwanted person. She was unwanted, um, I'm sure, for very good reasons, 
her, by her mother and father, by, her, by the rest of her family, um, but also by her entire government and her entire culture. So for me, that was this huge, um, it was my falling off the horse moment, as I call it, when I said, wait, all children are as dignified and beautiful as my daughter and worthy of love and wantedness should not be ever an issue um, when we decide who lives and who dies. Um, so from my, from my perspective, this kind of uh, interest in adoption comes from uh, a wanting to, to preserve the life of children um, who have been slated, for instance, for abortion because of lack of, lack of love, lack of wantedness, because they're inconvenient. But there are other reasons that people come to this, um, to this desire to foster the culture of adoption and foster care. Catherine, I was thinking you mentioned before, um, in the U.S. especially, evangelicals have done a great job in responding to the needs of children who need uh, foster homes or adoption. And something happened just this week. I was preparing um, one of my little girls, Veronica, for First Communion, and we got to the point about St. Joseph. And it, it, a bell kind of went off, and I realized St. Joseph, the foster father, um, Mm-hmm. And, and it struck me about the great tradition in the Catholic Church uh, in responding to foster uh, children and, and children in need of adoption. And given that I think that you are a walking Catholic encyclopedia, I was wondering if um, maybe in, in the work that you've been doing in promoting foster care and adoption, what have been the, the markers that you've seen in the church um, universally and in the church here in the U.S. that really are a reminder of the great tradition that we have as Catholics? Well, you, of course, Andrea, hit on it with St. Joseph, right? Um, but, um, but at this time where we're having so many identity crises, right, in our culture where people don't know where they're coming from, who they are, um, there's a real opportunity here, not just to help foster kids and um, and other children who children who are slated for for abortion, um, but to help ourselves um, in terms of clarity about who we are um, and what our our deepest identity is. You know, Christians are adopted children of God. Um, it doesn't get more fundamental than that. Um, <laughs> And and um, there's there's something too that that I've appreciated more in recent years. Um, so many people, of course, we're all human. Uh, come from imperfect families. There's so many people who have a hard time relating to God because of issues with their father. Um, there are pe- so many people who have, have um, a hard time Mary is an obstacle because of their relationship with their mother. Um, it, there's an opportunity here for us to appreciate God as our adopted father who sought us, who loves us, who um, brings us into his family, who gives us his son, um, to appreciate that we can be healed by that, whatever our family circumstances are. So that, that, that's one thing. I think there's a huge opportunity there to, to, to um, really understand who we are and, and get ourselves out of all these identity politics and, and um, that are really, really strangling people. Um, and then, 
you know, there are so many references in in the Bible, and I'm reminded too. Almost every time I do an event on foster care and adoption, I pray the liturgy of the hours that that priests and religious and and so many others um, pray during the day. And um, without fail, as I'm going into an event on um, uh, a foster care and adoption, and I'm sorry, you're also hearing. Um, the uh, police sirens um, in Rome here too, in addition to the bells. Um, but, but without fail, whenever whenever I'm about to do an event, there's some reading or there's some prayer that that has to do with um, our adoption as as Christians, and um, or or um, a, a scriptural verse about our duties toward the the infant, uh, the the orphans and widows. And um, there's nothing like, like uh, you know, uh, the liturgical and uh, the scriptural reminders to underscore the importance of this. It's I, I'm reminded too about um, some of the themes of Pope Francis um, going out to the peripheries, right, noticing people who aren't necessarily right in front of you and aren't necessarily your. Um, your direct needs and responsibilities mm-hmm. and Gracie, what you were talking about, the, the, the idea that people are, he talks about the throwaway society, the idea that anyone would be someone you can cast aside. That's, that's not who we are. Not, not if, um, not if every human life we believe is made in the image and likeness of God, it goes back to the stations we were talking about. Like, can you see Christ in these people? Because if, if you do, in these precious little ones, in these precious teenagers who are harder cases, I understand, um, but they're very, every, every bit as much made in the image and likeness of God is that, that's, that precious baby and your precious children, right? Biological children um, who um, are, are easier to accept in as much as they come from you, right? And you don't know all the, the question marks if we're actually honest with ourselves, right, there are huge question marks that come with biological children, too. You know? I say. It's, it's amazing, as, as Andrea can certainly attest to, and um, anyone whose parents have more than one child can attest to, um, every child is different. And so the idea that, that uh, there's a lot of fear that surrounds adoption and foster care and obviously foster care is is an even more complicated situation um because you're not necessarily taking in a child forever um it may be a temporary situation maybe a lot of temporary situations um which can be very heartbreaking and and really requires a stretching of the heart um but um but 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 obviously um uh, so speaking of the fear, so many people express that, um, and I've seen this as a challenge in some Catholic parishes where, you know, you might have a big homeschooling community kind of parish. And, and so on one hand, they would be uh, probably your first bet for, oh, they, there's room for one more, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of fear that actually, you know, it, adding this unknown element will will destroy the family dynamic or, you know, contaminate the other children 
Um, but uh, there's a lot of humility that needs to enter into this because, because of course, as as I as uh, as I said, no 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 life is uh, a certainty. We never know what how everything's going to unfold. It's it's an adventure that God takes us on and doesn't leave us alone in, and um, that that makes it a, a little more, I think, doable sounding to people. And um, and just a quick comment and I'll, I'll be quiet about the the, the evangelicals um, Catholics have been involved in adoption foster care forever and um, here in the United States and um, it often takes the form of Catholic charities we've had orphanages we've ha- had um, lots lots of different services as you know in many many places Catholic charities has had to get out of adoption and foster care because of laws uh, saying that uh, you have to place in in se- same-sex um, uh, situations. And one of them, so two quick things, one, one of them being that um, evangelical churches have the advantage of, um, they don't have big institutions. They don't think institutionally like we do um, in, in most cases. And um, so people going to an evangelical church can't sort of, they don't have the crutch of knowing that somebody's taking care of this. They actually have to think about like, what are the needs in the community? Catholics very often, especially if you're, you're in a big diocese like I am, or both of you are in, um, you know, you give, you give money to the Cardinal's appeal or, or whatever the stewardship appeal is, the annual appeal is. And you figure somebody's taking care of all the problems, and so it sort of distances you from your 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 charitable duties in many ways. That's right. Not for everyone, but that's a general attitude that I think has saved you to, to generalize. The evangelicals don't have the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, Catherine, um, we have to take a quick break, but we are going okay. to come back and talk to you some more exactly about that, and also our faith-based adoption and foster care agencies and the challenges we're facing. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your host or hostess, Gracie Christie, accompanied by um, my colleague, Andrea picciotti Bear, And we are joined from Rome by Catherine Jean Lopez. We're talking adoption and foster care. So um, Andrea, being our legal eagle at the Catholic Association, um, she has a lot of knowledge about the legal challenges to foster and adoption uh, care uh, as related to faith-based agencies. So, Andrea, what are some challenges that we're facing right now? Well, earlier in our conversation, we were speaking about some of the challenges to existing uh, faith-based foster care and adoption agencies. And and Catherine mentioned that the biggest attack uh, on their continued contribution has been a perceived clash with anti-discrimination laws. Um, And in, in one case in particular that we're waiting on hearing from the Federal Court of Appeals on involves uh, the Philadelphia Catholic Social Services. And it's been a group that's been working and placing children in uh, the city of brotherly love for uh, centuries, uh, for decades, almost a century. 
Um, and they were told that they could not continue to do that with the city unless they agreed to endorse same-sex couples for foster care. Um, and even though no couple had ever gone to them seeking uh, their support. Catherine, I was wondering if you might be able to speak a little bit about um, your thoughts on this clash and how we might be able to find a way that all doors can continue to be open for kids in need. Well, first of all, I want to say that um, nobody has written more beautifully about this case than you, Andrea, um, uh, when you went and interviewed some of the families um, in Philadelphia and um, really gave people uh, a personal look at what an impact uh, shutting down this work uh, would have. Uh, the people, some of the people who you interviewed are just about the most selfless people in the world. Uh, women who open their homes, family who who open their homes, countless children, and um, would still be doing so if uh, the city didn't um, shut shut this down. And why did the city shut this down? Pure ideology. There wasn't even a complaint. You know, that's what's the most frustrating thing about this. People get very emotional immediately about these issues and when you point out to them there wasn't even an issue it, this was pure ideology this was somebody saying why are you i assume that it was a, a collection of people saying why are you working with these people with, the, with these 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 supposedly intolerant catholics one of the most encouraging things that i've seen lately is um is people who disagree who are agreeing to disagree on some fundamentals that are not unimportant things but obviously gay marriage is legal in the united states now so that that's not something we're going to get solved overnight and children who are in foster care right now don't have the luxury of waiting for us to hash out this this debate and and i don't know how it ends you know and what it looks like in in 10 or 30 years but they don't have that time uh so you have you have people like ryan anderson at the heritage foundation and who's been spending the 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 uh the last decade or so arguing about making the best cases um that can be made about why marriage is between a man and a woman right um and even even with things as the law is, as it is now, he still goes to college campuses and tries to make the the argument and is able to to have great debates and and so I think there there's something happening there. He's planting seeds, um, but again, these children don't have a lot of time. So then you have Walter Olson at the Cato Institute, who's married to a man and has adopted a child internationally, who says to me came to an event that I did last spring and said, we got to work together because we need more choices, not less mm -hmm. for these kids. Wonderful. And I, I thought, thanks be to God. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I want there to be Jewish adoption agencies and I want, I want specialization. And so if you go to Catholic charities in, in a sane world, what, what would happen is you, a Catholic family goes to Catholic charities. A birth mom who wants um, who wants her child to be placed with a Catholic 
family or trusts the Catholic Church, goes to Catholic charities, goes where she feels comfortable. A gay couple goes to another adoption agency. There's not a lack of these options unless um, the government is going to squeeze out the faith-based agencies, which is what we're seeing in Philadelphia right now. The Catherine, two- uh, on that note, when I was at, when we were adopting our little girl, we found out that the adoption process, I would have to say, is more, much more. Uh, it's a harder process. It's 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 a, there's no physical part to it, so it's all emotional and and spiritual, and that can be very hard. And also, you're you're acting outside the norm, right? Adopting is not that mm-hmm. pop, not that common. Uh, so you don't have, in many and cases, you don't have any your support. Your Freudian slip was important, too. It's not that popular with people, either. Right, it's not. And and people, I already had four children. We already had four children we were adopting. And the general question was, are you crazy? Why do you want to bring in some other person's problem into your life and, and complicate the lives of your children that, that, you know, you don't know what you're bringing in your home? I mean, all sorts of really strong uh, comments against, I would have to say, 99% negativity. Um, there were a couple mm-hmm. people in my life, you know, my closest family members who understood our, our desire and the vocation. We felt it as a vocation, a vocation to adopt, that we, we were being called to open our home to mm-hmm. someone that wasn't biologically related to us. Um, so we've needed an agency that understood our, where we stood spiritually, where we stood in our, mm-hmm. in our understanding of, of why we were doing this and what we hope to accomplish on, on much bigger levels than than people who, who for instance, which I don't I don't want to, I, I don't criticize people who are infertile and want to adopt. They have, every, people seem to understand that, but that desire and they and they respect it, but they don't always respect the desire of people who simply want to add uh, a child to their family for that for that joy. Um, so anyway, all to the point that yes, a special agency for a special case. And, and there ought to be lots of different kinds of agencies that can speak to each family's desire and needs when they are embarking on this very difficult process of adoption or foster care. Um, uh, I couldn't agree more. And, and I also, what you just said, 99% negativity. My goodness. Um, this, is, this is why conversations like this are so important, um, because... Uh, because that that can't be in Christian communities. The idea that we would be inhospitable to reaching out to children who are in need, who would otherwise be alone, stuck in, in your case, government institutions a world away, um, and there are children stuck in government institutions in your neighborhood, and um, that's that's not okay. And so uh, we need to be having conversations about how to make um, how we can turn our face toward them and um, and reach out to them and reach out to the families who do feel called. And um, and most so, so many families don't even know to be open to the call. And so so again, having these these conversations are so important, particularly well, because because. Uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, Catherine, when we we look at numbers that are produced by the government, uh, there's 442,000 children in the foster care system. Um, and those numbers can seem overwhelming. And one of the things that helped ground me was speaking to uh, 
people who were in foster care now are adults and really seeing the life-changing experience of being loved, uh, the love that that I've seen that Gracie and her husband show for their adopted daughter, Luli, is um, incredible, overflowing. And the same uh, experience was shared with me by these these kids that were in foster care uh, homes in Philadelphia, and, and many of them were eventually adopted by their same foster care parents. Um, and as far as making an impact and truly living faith, um, I felt like, gosh, I need a foster care. <laughs> it's it's really um, the most incredible, vivid uh, sign of love is really going beyond comfort, beyond uh, what's easy. And everyone that I've spoken to, um, both the children and the parents, their lives have been radically changed. It hasn't been easy. There have been times where I think they felt they were crazy. Um, but it's been profound, and it's been uh, really God-like, God-serving. And isn't around Holy Week the ideal time to be having a conversation like this? Um, it sure is. Christ never promised comfortable, right? That wasn't what he lived. That's not what the passion is about. And so, um, so we, so yeah, we're we're going to be called to, to stretch ourselves and and um, and something that you hit on that I'm always struck by whenever whenever I you know cover issues like this that aren't necessarily the sexiest that don't necessarily get clicks um on our website because it's not what donald trump just tweeted which is a much easier story to read because it doesn't require much from you you know um one thing i'm struck by people will say to me oh you're such a good person to to write about this first of all i'm just writing about it i might point out um but, but the other thing is that what I'm always struck by is you think you're doing the right thing, you you wind up better for it, right? You, because you you realize all of these saintly people who are out there and how much more we're called to do. And as you were just voicing, um, uh, Andrea, it it raises questions in your head that need to be raised, right? And um, and even too, you know, as I said, I think it's very important to say not everyone's called to to foster care and adoption, um, but there there may there's some piece there's some role. Mm -hmm. And one organization that that I find encouraging too, it's not quite foster care. It's um it's again an evangelical group um, that that some Catholics are getting involved in Los Angeles and and uh, some other places. Um, called Safe Families, and the idea is that you um, uh, you step up to the plate so that uh, so kids don't have to go into foster care. So let's say, as as you know, all, so many of us are so dispersed, and we're not where we grew up, and and so we don't necessarily have the mm. the familial supports that exactly. And so if if a single mom winds up needing to go to drug rehab for for a few months, she's not going to have her mom around to be able to take the child. And so this is where, uh, you know, a parish community can step in and, and be that resource for for uh, for people. And there's obviously lots of training and lots of logistics involved so that so that 
not so, so that they're prepared for, for what this looks like. But what a, it's a, what a great program, Catherine. Program. I have to look it up. Safe Families, I think you called it. You know, Catherine, um, yeah. we yeah. have to wrap up, but I want to thank you so much for taking part in this conversation with consequences. And I hope that our listeners will, the consequence will be that they will uh, maybe rethink a little bit their their uh, approach, their mental approach to foster care and adoption and find out where they can be part of the solution, however God calls them to be um, open to that, whether to assist someone else who's trying to, to, to make that leap or to make the leap themselves. So thank you very much for joining us from Rome, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. Well, if you check my Twitter page, at Catherine Lopez, I have a link to some resources, a resource page that will be a place where people can start reading up if, if uh, you're called to, to do that. Thanks so much for having me on. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences, and now for our weekly treat. Father Roger Landry will be preparing us for this week's Sunday Mass. If you look at the original Greek for the word homily, that message that a priest or a deacon or a bishop gives after the end of the liturgy of the word, the word homily in Greek means conversation. And every time we hear the homily, it's supposed to be a conversation about what the Lord himself has revealed consequential in our life. It's supposed to change our life, especially this Sunday. The fourth Sunday of Easter is called Good Shepherd Sunday because every year we get a small portion of the 10th chapter of St. John's Gospel in which Jesus reveals to himself, reveals himself to us as the Good Shepherd. As his faithful followers, we want to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I want, I lack for nothing. And we mark this at the heart of the Easter season each year because it is the center of Easter joy. With the risen Lord Jesus as our shepherd, we truly have it all. As our good shepherd, Jesus essentially does three things. He feeds his flock, prepares a table for us in the midst of our foe, feeds us both materially and spiritually, giving us today our daily bread, feeds our soul with his word because we don't live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from his mouth. And so, as good sheep, we allow Jesus to feed us, and we hunger for his nourishment. Second, he guides his flock. He leads us in right name, in right paths for his namesake. He takes us besides the refreshing waters of baptism. He guides us toward the verdant pastures of heaven. He tells us that he calls each of us by name and leads us out. He goes ahead of us, and we follow him. He wants to lead us on the adventure of life, and as good sheep... We follow his lead, responding to his voice. The third thing he does is he protects his flock. He tells us very clearly that there are thieves and marauders who are seeking to fleece, milk, kill, cook, and consume us. But against those who come only to steal and kill and destroy, he sets himself as our protection, as the gate to the sheepfold, so that essentially in order to get to us, others need to go through him, something that's impossible. We mark a couple ways that we're supposed to be transformed by our relationship with the Good Shepherd to care for others in his shepherdly pattern. First is Mother's Day. How many mothers care for their children would give their lives as mama bears in order to protect us? We give thanks to God for our mothers today. The second is the priesthood. 
this is the world day of prayer for priestly vocation because we want generations of priests to be made after the image of God. We also noted this past week that extraordinary story of Kendra Castillo, the boy who died to save his fellow classmates at the STEM high school shooting. As we come forward to have that conversation with consequence with the Lord this weekend, he's going to call us by name and ask us to allow him to shepherd us as he knows we need and to transform us to be shepherds of others. God bless you. Happy Sunday. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. I've picked out three articles from this week's clips that I thought you might find interesting. First, over at the website Crux, we have an article from Ines San Martin telling us about Asia Bibi, the illiterate Catholic woman who spent almost a decade on death row over blasphemy allegations in Pakistan. She has finally been allowed to leave for Canada, where she will be reunited with her family. This is very welcome news. So head over to Crux and read all about that wonderful, joyous reunion that will be taking place in Canada. Over at the Catholic News Agency, we have an article on how the South Sudanese bishops are working to promote peace. You may remember that last April, this past month, Pope Francis invited the leaders of the two factions that have been warring in South Sudan over the last five years. This civil war has led to over up to hundreds of thousands of deaths and many millions of displaced people. And Pope Francis made that beautiful gesture, if you remember, where he bent and kissed their feet. The South Sudanese bishops are using that as an inspiration, that motion of the fathers, of our pontiffs, as an inspiration to promote peace efforts in the country. That's at the Catholic News Agency, a wonderful piece. And then from me at Fox News, uh, there's a piece on the new federal rules protecting freedom of conscience for medical professionals. This is a very important thing for me as a medical professional, but also for all others in the country, people, doctors and nurses and health entities that have uh, a firm conscience when it comes to the preservation of life, when it comes to things like assisted suicide, abortion, and also uh, treatments for gen uh, gender dysphoria. And um, at Fox News, you can read all about the way that this um, is going to be very welcome, not only for doctors and nurses, but also for patients, because patients do better under the care of a doctor that has, uh, of a doctor or a nurse that understands issues of the dignity of life and is prepared to live out their Hippocratic Oath. So thank you and do subscribe. We will have uh, show notes on the podcast with links to these particular articles. Just a few last thoughts on this wonderful topic that we were covering. Wonderful to me as an adoptive mom, especially. But um, number one, how adoption and foster care fits in, dovetails so perfectly with this our pro-life attitude that every life is dignified. Every life 
whether wanted or unwanted, welcome or unwelcome, deserves exactly the same uh, approach. And also to remember to go to the peripheries, that there are many hundreds of thousands of children in our country who are alone, essentially, in the world without love. The other thing that uh, really our, our brothers and sisters in the evangelical churches have added is the strength to the community of faith in responding to the needs of uh, kids around us. And it's it's part of our Catholic tradition to foster, to adopt, and it's part of our parish life. And the kind of inspiration and example that beautiful families like Gracie's do for the, the parishioners in their community is something that we really should try to strive to, whether we can bring kids into our own home or support families that are fostering and adopting or help with respite care, help with uh, groups like Safe Families so that these children always know that they're loved and that the focus is on them. Yeah, you know, um, Catherine made such a wonderful point that as Catholics, sometimes we tend to have the idea that the institution will take care of it. We're going to give our weekly checks and our archbishops support and the church will take care of it, but really it's it's family to family, person to person, heart to heart. Well, and, and we are the church. Yeah, that's us. That's the church. You and me and everyone listening and, and people um, holding hands and taking care of each other. And before we leave, I think it's worth just reminding everyone there are over 442,000 children in foster care here in the United States. They're looking for forever homes, and each one of us can open up our doors either to be there temporarily or permanently to give these kids a life-giving chance. That's a shocking number, Andrea, and I hope that our listeners out there will be inspired to be a part of the solution. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, joined today by my colleague, Andrea picciotti Bayer. Our show is produced by Jonah McKeown. Special thanks to Catherine Jean Lopez for joining us from Rome. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast of our show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week, and God bless.